you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, the man who moves market says, break out your rally cap. J.P. Morgan's Marco Kolanovich upping his year-end price target for stocks while he says it is time to go risk on. Plus, powering higher energy names breaking out again today. We'll tell you what added new fuel to this fire. And later, Starbucks gets roasted. The big headline out of China that sent this stock falling uh, about three and a half percent today. But we start off with the September standoff. We are halfway through the month, and the chart master says there is a big showdown happening in the markets right now. Cornerstone Macro's Carter worth flagging these three charts for us tonight. First up, the S&P 500, despite today's gains, the index neither breaking below or holding above its trend line. Next up, the 10-year yield. It is holding in a tight range, again, neither breaking down or breaking out from current levels. And finally, there is gold, the chartmaster calling this one an epic standoff. It's neither coming to life nor selling off definitively. So as we head into the second half of September, does this high-stakes standoff continue, or do we finally get some quick-draw market action? Guy, what do you say? Uh, do you remember 1993, Mel? Work with me on this one. Sure I do, yes. There was a great movie, Tombstone, Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott, who, by the way, Sam Elliott is just unbelievable in every movie he's ever been in. But there was a standoff in that movie. I know you remember. It was Val Kilmer and Michael Bean. They were surrounding okay. each other. Who was the first to shoot? Wound up being Val Kilmer. And okay. he actually won that standoff. So who do I think wins this standoff? No I'll idea. tell you my opinion. I think rates, I think rates go higher from here. I think the 10-year is headed back to 175. I think gold also goes higher despite rates moving up. And I think the S&P 500 could absolutely test the 200-day moving average, which right now comes around 4,100. Carter is 100% right. The sideways action is killing everybody, but I think they're at the verge of something happening. And that Val Kilmer will manifest itself into three things that I just said. So the markets break lower. Um, Tim, what's your view? I, I, I like Val as Iceman, but that's a, a different topic altogether. I, you know, I look at different. semis that are at all-time highs. I, I look at, I know, I know. And I look at the S&P that I, I believe today uh, bounced off that, that 50 day moving average for the ninth or 10th time this year, every time we get there. So I don't, I don't see sideways action. Uh, I realize it's every time we go through one of these periods and around both the Jewish holidays and the coming back to school and markets that are always used to anxiety around September. So we've been waiting for some volume, but, but largely the price action to me is in line. We know that it's been painful for cyclicals. Uh, Guy brought up FedEx. We've talked about transports, uh, which basically have challenged the 200-day for the first time since February of 2020. That's where I think the, the anxiety is. Um, if you're a gold and precious metals investor, I think you've got a lot of tailwinds, and I think you've got a lot coming your way. Gold's been frustrating, uh, but if you look at the PGMs and you look at platinum and palladium and look at auto stocks that I know have been under pressure, but I, I, I see a world where the economy is getting going. We've had a lot of bad news, uh, and I don't see sideways. I, again, mm -hmm. semiconductors have led the market for as long as I can remember, and they're at all-time highs. 
Yeah. And I guess it's that view. I mean, it's your view on the economy that will sort of influence where you see rates and then also where you see markets. Because the guy, guy said rates go higher, but markets go lower. Karen, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, if rates are going higher for a good reason, i.e. the economy is actually picking up, holding momentum, et cetera, then that's a great thing for the markets. I think so. I, I think that is where we're headed, actually. To me, the most important factor is what's happening with the Delta variant, because that has really seemed to weigh on you know, GDP lower, lowered estimates recently. And so if we are turning a corner on the Delta variant and there is not another variant behind that, then I do think the economy will pick up again. We saw that very interesting Empire Manufacturing Report, which is one I don't really pay much attention to, but it was wildly better. And then we had some not inflationary numbers. So if we were to see pick up in the economy without any additional inflation, I think that would be a pretty good thing. In that scenario, I do think bond yields would go up, and that would be good for a lot of sectors, like banks, for example. So, you know, I'm not a market timer at all, but I'm staying long. Yeah. Grasso, how about you? You're sort of an amateur chart guy. So what do you see in those charts? <laughs> so to break down, ask Guy why he remembers Tombstone in 1993. And I'll tell you, because he was taken out for his 50th birthday to celebrate that, to watch that movie. <laughs> so kudos to Guy for remembering that. <laughs> so on top of that, so I, I agree with Guy that if rates move higher, market moves lower. I agree with Tim because I don't see anything breaking down in the S&P. The S&P was in danger of breaking down in May or so. We didn't see that. It was under a lot of pressure there in the charts. The chart looks like a stairway. Yes, it's running out of momentum. It is not overbought. RSI is 52. No danger of having an overbought blow up, but seasonality is October, rough for the markets. It's a buyer's strike right now, Melissa. No one wants to buy the S&P. Everyone wants to wait and see how perception is reality. If September and October have a historic level of being uh, a little bit rocky for the market, people are pulling their chips back, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I think the muscle memory for all of us here tonight is that September and October are usually terrible months. And Kramer was saying September 17th is uh, typically uh, the marking point for, for very, very volatile times in the market. Guy, do you think that's, that's a big driver in terms of these standoff charts that Carter has highlighted? Yeah, it's clear people, especially of my age, which would make me about 79 if my math is right, <laughs> uh, remember the falls over the last few decades without question. I think so people are apprehensive. And maybe that's why we've been sort of going sideways. Listen, there are a lot of things to like, and there are a lot of things to be leery of, and I think that's one of the reasons why you've seen this sort of price action. But, you know, I just look at it, and we haven't really seen that 200-day moving average in the S&P 500 probably in the last 11 or 12 months, if not longer. Uh, just reversion to the mean at some point has to take place, and that comes in each day that gets increased by about five S&P handles that Steve can speak to. You know, 4,100 right now. For a lot of different reasons, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm not calling for a crash. I think actually that'd be the healthiest thing you could possibly have before the end of this year. All right. Our next guest says the bulls, the bulls will win this September standoff. J.P. Morgan's chief global market strategist, Marco Kolonovich, just upped his year-end S&P price target to 4,700. Marco joins us on the fast line. Marco, great to have you with us. 
Thank you, Melissa. I mean, you think that it's the reopening trade, it's energy, it's all these things that will power the S&P 500 higher. What, what is the backdrop to this bullish view? So the backdrop is um, basically a decline in coronavirus globally. So if you look at the August 30th, cases started declining globally. So that's already for two weeks they are declining. We are seeing mobility indices picking up. Uh, in the U.S., a little bit slower, but still actually declining last about the last seven to ten days. We now have around 35 out of 50 states cases are declining. So basically, declining coronavirus, which we thought was the main driver, COVID Delta was the main driver of slowdown that we saw in July and August. You know, so it basically hit, uh, you know, hit the consumer, hit the travel sentiment, um, and basically you had this big rotation out of cyclicals and into sort of defensives and growth. So we think now that's going to go in reverse, and, um, and basically uh, it's going to sort of provide some support for the market. So, Marco, you have a price target for the S&P, I believe, at 4700 If you see that rotation into cyclicals, how how do you see the market playing out? Can the market move higher if cyclicals (laughs) take over the leadership? So... That's a good question, you know, and, and that's where we d- debate a lot and discuss a lot. So, so we think ultimately yes, because basically we see this as a very early stage of economic recovery. So if you look at the consumer, you know, consumer is pretty healthy. You know, if you look at the inventory cycle, if you look at the capex cycle, if you look at the just sort of reopening of the economy, we still, you know, half half come to office, little international travel, little, little business travel. So a lot of these things we think are going to now kick into higher gear with the decline on COVID. So we think in that environment, sort of. Every Everything can go higher. You know, that said, we think cyclicals will lead and growth and tech and, and, and highly valued segments will feel a little bit of a headwind. You know, so now that headwind is going to be a function of the yields, you know, how, how far yields go. We think yields go higher and market goes higher, but we think it's going to be led by cheaper cyclical value segments and uh, sort of growth segments. You know, can, have to inch higher because if we assume market, if our target is market goes higher, then we also think that uh, the tech also goes higher, but but much less. You know, much less, and then some of the parts of the some of the parts of the of the growth segments, the hyper growth, may actually go down. But overall, we think market can inch higher. Look, and 4,700 is not is not a, a very far out of here. You know, we are basically 4,500, so we're looking at here five six percent. We are not calling some crazy bull market, but we think everything can go down, go up, led by cyclical. So that will be financials, materials, energy, industrials, um, you know, consumer plays and stuff like that. Hey, Marco, it's Tim. Part of your work that's been so effective in the last couple of years has been equity positioning from institutions and in mm-hmm. where they are. Seems to me equities are heavy over. Well, they're, they're, they're certainly well positioned in equities. They're not terribly well positioned in terms of uh, their, their downside protection in the market. Does that concern you? And again, in terms of rotation, you seem to be pretty excited about emerging and global markets, maybe more so than U.S. That's correct. So let me first on a positioning. You know, so on a positioning, we always differentiate between discretionary managers and systematic manager. So system, systematic funds. So systematic funds are about 70, 75 percentile historical. So they're above average. You know, but we see actually discretionary manager about average. You know, so uh, you know, so so a lot of people are having this view. Kind of well, correction is over. You let's put some chip, chips off of the table, and they're doing that. They're doing that by buying options. Some of them actually scaled scale a little bit back. Some of them are more playing market neutral 
So we actually don't think that positioning on a discretionary side is is high. It's about average. You know, on a systematic, it's a little bit higher. So, 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 um, uh, but you know, that doesn't mean that it has to go lower unless we have some very negative catalyst. You know, on the international versus domestic, emerging versus developed. Basically, our view on COVID recovery uh, projects onto sectors and styles. You know, value cyclical cyclicals grow defensives. When you project these factors on different international markets, you know, EMs, emerging markets are more heavy in value, they're more heavy in cyclicals. Even Japan and Europe are more sort of heavily weighted in these segments. So we basically expect more upside in these as compared to S&P, which is pretty heavy on the NASDAQ and on FANGs and, and, and the growth type uh, things, which we think will do okay, but not as good as cyclicals. Marco, I'm wondering, you know, the backdrop, you said, was declining um, COVID, declining Delta. There are flare-ups around the world and differences in, in vaccination rates around the world and the different kinds of vaccines used in terms of efficacy vary greatly as well. And so I'm wondering at what point do you start getting concerned at, at say, for instance, the flare-up that we're seeing right now in southern China mm-hmm. having a, a ripple impact uh, on the rest of, of the world or that region? So that would be a risk, you know, like uh, uh, the Western Europe and, and United States, pretty high vaccination rates, pretty high natural immunity from, from actually a lot of people having the COVID already or had the COVID already. So China didn't have a, a, as much COVID, you know, so that's a little bit of a risk. So certainly we're going to watch these things carefully. Keep in mind, China, weakness in China in, in July and August, which we saw in mobility data in China, we saw some of these ports, closures and stuff like that. So, so it sort of already played out a little bit, but certainly that would be the negative development if there will be like a big outbreak in China. So I would put it in one of the risks uh, to our thesis, but it's not the main case. Even in China, vaccination rates are pretty high. And, and then, uh, as you mentioned, we need to sort of look at the different type of vaccines, which probably goes beyond our expertise. Right. Um, last question that I have for you tonight, Marco, is what does the other side of up five to six percent through the end of the year look like? What does next year look like? So next year, so we just actually today put out the 5,000. So it's not a sort of a formal year rent target. We said it's going to be sort of reached and, 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 and probably beyond 5,000. You know, um, very little visibility right now exactly when. You know, you know if, if the things go very well sort of with the COVID and reopening, I think it can 5,000 can be early in the next year. You know, if we do have a hiccups, whether it's related to Fed, whether it's related to some new variant or something out of the left field, you know, it probably might be a little bit more towards the end of the, the next year. But we did put a 5,000 today for the next year, uh, a little bit vaguely when exactly next year. All right. Marco, great to speak with you as always. Thank you. Thank you so much. Marco Kalanovich, JP Morgan. Guy Dami, what's your take? I happen to agree. I mean, cyclicals, uh, financials, resources, right? I, I'm with them on that. And, you know, I, I think it's going to happen because rates are going to go higher. But if rates go meaningfully higher, I think we're going to lose a lot of these high growth high valuation names. And I don't think the cyclicals, resources, and energy can hold up the S&P 500. So I'm with him right up until the S&P 500, 4,700 call. So again, I agree with him on those sectors. I don't necessarily agree on the S&P. Karen, in your portfolio, are you worried about any names getting swept up in a rotation? If, if, if favor falls on cyclicals uh, and growth names, pro-growth, uh-huh. I should say, not growth names per se, then, right. then what happens to some other s- stocks in your portfolio? Well, I, I'm praying for a rotation, actually, to some of them. Like, you know, for example, like a FedEx, which really has traded very poorly. It's been very out of favor. The banks, which have traded nicely, but, you know, well off, not well, somewhat off of their highs, 
So I think they will continue to do better in that rotation environment. You know, when we talk about the market, we think of it as this monolith. There could be places to make money where other places are definitely not the way to make money. So I agree with Guy that the real high flyers, that's probably not going to be the place to be. So I got this kind of barbell, but um, I have some industrials. United Rentals, I think, will do better. So sure. I hope that happens. But you, you got in your, in your portfolio, and, and many of you, you know, like Tim, for instance, you have an alphabet in your portfolio, which is not necessarily a high-flying, yes. high-valuation name, but it's in these baskets with high-flying, high-valuation names, and when caught in a rotation, are you worried that that just gets thrown out with the rest of them? Well, I, I, I think Alphabet can be more defensive, and, and I actually think that, that Amazon may be breaking out. I know Mark Mahaney threw a $4,700 target on it, and I, I, I think there's still some room for some of those names. So, um, but I, I, I do believe that the cyclical reflation uh, you know, type names that we're talking about, we're calling them value names at times, look interesting. For example, I, I think the auto market, and you know my view on autos, I'm bullish, but I think like even EU autos, if you look at these charts and if you look at the cyclicality and how these economies are opening up and where you're getting actually earnings revisions to the upside. Um, there's there are a lot of sectors like that. And, and so um, I, I guy's point is one of doing the math. He's right. You know, we, we all know where the passive money flows and the weightings in these indices are and, and where obviously you can be in a kind of a difficult period for for growth and the market moves higher. And I think what we're all pointing is that uh, we're relatively constructive on the reopening here. Um, how this plays out in terms of the, the numbers in the stock market, I think you're going to get a little bit of both again with a heavier weight towards some of this cyclical. All right, coming up, no luck for casino stocks. The group under pressure again today as regulatory concerns continue to flare out of China. We've got the details next. And speaking of China, we'll tell you what just happened there that sent Starbucks tumbling today. We've got that and much more when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Casino stocks under pressure again today as China continues to tighten its grip on the gambling sector. Let's get to Contessa Brewer with all the details. Contessa. Yeah, gaming insiders, Melissa, are wondering if it's all bark and no bite. I mean, there were attention-getting suggestions, but no detailed plans about increased government oversight of casinos, another crackdown on the VIP junket business, more scrutiny of how much money comes in and how much of it actually leaves. But the reaction was stark. You saw it there. Melco and Wynn Resort shares really took it on the chin. Uh, Las Vegas Sands recovered some of its losses today. MGM does not rely as heavily on Macau revenues as the rest. And look, I got a bunch of very polite, 
No, thank you. When I asked Casino for comment today, why they just don't want to say anything that could jeopardize their concession renewal. That's scheduled to happen next June. And while investors may be spooked at the idea of increased government in oversight there, these concessions are in reality government partnerships. They are not just licenses. So any increased scrutiny on the VIP junkets may not really have the impact it once did. We have seen premium mass becoming the profit driver there, even pre-pandemic. A mandate for casinos to invest in non-gaming areas, well, that's not really problematic because they voluntarily invested in big infrastructure, education, and other projects, and they have been paying employees through the pandemic. So some of these things are to be expected. Some of it, we just have to wait and get the details. But in the meantime, I just got a note from Morningstar, and it looks like they're going to lower their estimates on wind and Las Vegas sands because of the volatility and the pressure. Is there any thought, Contessa, that it is a possibility that the concessions end for certain players? No. I mean, okay. the, the, the reality of this is they have invested so much money that, and I've, I've talked to the CEOs over the years, they never wanted to come out and say that publicly, but, the, but internally, I think they do everything they can to make the regulators happy, to make the government happy, so that it's not an issue. But Jim Murren, the former CEO and chairman of MGM Resorts, who spent a lot of time in Macau, told me years ago, look, it would cause a chilling effect on the rest of Western investment if China and Macau, or Macau via China, came and cracked down on the uh, Western casinos and took away their concessions. It just would cause everyone to question whether they can safely invest in China. All right. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. It may be believed that it's off the table, Tim, (laughs) but because of what we've seen out of China, is it off the table? (laughs) I mean, really? (laughs) Well, if you think about some of the uh, strategic risks uh, in some of the places where the casinos could fit in relative to the other things we've seen around anti-monopoly or cyber or like, I just don't think you have the same kind of exposure there. Um, I also think that in the past we've seen around capital flows and regulatory tightening, uh, especially when they're having big currency outflow issues. We've seen the regulators, uh, you know, be noisy around Macau. So this isn't new, and, and I, I, I want to believe, and, and I, I put a position on today and, and via options in Las Vegas Sands. Um, I look at their business. First of all, their Singapore business in Marina Bay Sands, um, I think, is very strong and not really, is not really tied to China regulatory. It's all tied to regional uh, mobility and travel mobility. Remember, we started to see travel tighten up in, in July just when things were actually looking pretty strong there, and the prices in these stocks reflect that. So um, I think investors uh, who are looking at longer term have a horizon here where these companies are coming back uh, and that actually a handful of these companies are well positioned not just in Asia but in in Las Vegas Sands I I think they're well positioned in digital and that was Mm -hmm. part of my point last night so I I think it's interesting I mean MGM China was down 26 percent that is a re-rating in a single day practically Grasso right but when you look at MGM uh, year to date it's up 28 percent Wynn is down 23%, Las Vegas down 36%. So MGM has the reverse uh, revenue leverage that we see the other names have. To Tim's point, though, in a normalized revenue environment, Singapore is, is, uh, is an area that LVS has that no one else has. And that is a $1.3 billion revenue generator in a normalized world. 
So one day you're going to be right. And to Tim's point, if he's playing it through options, this is the area where Las Vegas a month ago jumped 25% basically overnight. Is it going to happen again? I think it will. But the problem is it's been on a declining trend line for the last couple of months. And it's almost uninvestable. If Tim's investing through options, that's a hell of a lot safer than owning the equity. Because right now you're getting obliterated with the equity and you're hoping for these 24% pops overnight, but you're down 60% on your original position. And you can't make money that way. And I know people start trading with their head, then it becomes a trade with your heart. But right now there's too many unknowns. The China-US relations are not getting any better. China to China relations are not getting any better. So this is an area where I'm just going to watch the game play out. China, uh, Karen, what's your take? Well, I'm long MGM, which has been somewhat caught up in this, not nearly as bad as the others. They do have some exposure, but I think it's less than about 20%. So I was in it for a bunch of different reasons. I think that I don't want to be in gaming in China because the unimaginable, however small that chance is, and I don't know how small it is or isn't, it's not zero, right? Nothing is zero percent. So I, I just wouldn't be comfortable owning it. I'll stick with MGM. I also wonder, could it possibly be the beneficiary of people who want to make a gaming play, who want to make it in a U.S.-based company, and return to gaming and, and uh, you know, the the recovery and reopen and all of that, could MGM now be the way to play it without getting a different bet and a much bigger bet and a much, you know, eight more asymmetric bet mm -hmm. of China? I don't know, but right. I'm hanging on to MGM. We've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Shares of Starbucks spilling over as Yum China flags a big profit warning to investors. The traders are sipping on the coffee trade next. Plus, X marks the spot. U.S. Steel shining bright. So is now the time to get in. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Starbucks shares taking a spill today on some big concerns brewing in China. Let's get to Kate Rogers with the details. Kate. Hey, Melissa, Starbucks looks to be falling in sympathy today with Yum China after the KFC parent company warned that its adjusted profit would take a 50 to 60 percent hit in Q3 as the Delta variant impacted its stores and sharply reduced its sales. Now, at the peak in August, more than 500 of Yum China's restaurants in 17 provinces were either closed or offered only takeaway and delivery. This led to same-store sales declines by the mid-teens year over year and by about 20 percent on a two-year basis. The company said the recovery there was 
take time. It also said it was being pressured by higher commodity prices, wage inflation, and an increase in promotions. Now, the news seems to be weighing on Starbucks stock today, falling about 3.5%, also set uh, to have its worst day in eight months. China is Starbucks, of course, second home market with more than 5,100 stores there. Last quarter, same-store sales in China for Starbucks grew by 19%, but the company has guided for comps in the upcoming fourth quarter to be roughly flat. It also updated its guidance to a full-year range for China's same-store sales of 18 to 20%, down from 27 to 32% last quarter, though CEO Kevin Johnson did reiterate confidence in the long-term plan in China uh, in in Starbucks earnings uh, last quarter. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Kate. Thank you, Kate Rogers. Um, Tim, should we be concerned about this? No. Uh, Kate, Kate checked every box I would have brought up, which is that, first of all, they've already guided down on China. She pointed where the fiscal Q3 wasn't that great. International overall wasn't that great. The long-term China strategy, very much intact. But this is a North America story. This is 72 percent of, of the top line. And this is a, a, a growing um, ASP or, you know, ultimately their, their margins and their loyalty program. And the multiple that the company's trading at is a function that they're pushing higher prices on to their consumers. So, look, I, I don't love this news, um, but I'm not worried on China's news and how it's imputed on, chi- on, on, on Starbucks, especially when the company's already guided you that it wasn't really a great, you know, a great quarter, last quarter, and that this was going to be potentially a headwind. When was their guidance? Do you remember roughly when it was, if it was the end of August or the beginning? I don't remember. July 28th. So I think it was July, July 28th. 28th okay. So we did mistaken. see the peak. I guess yeah. the question is, we did see the peak of Delta in China when they guided. Because peak of peak of Delta in China, I believe, was mid-August or so, roughly. Yeah. Guy, what's so, your take? And I'll jump, sorry to jump in, but yeah, I was just happened to be looking at it. That's why I think I knew the answer. But to, Tim's exactly right. It's the U.S. story. U.S. comps were up 84% uh, last quarter, year over year. And that totally blew away what the street was looking for. Now, people will point to valuation, and you can understand the headline of 31 times next year's numbers are expensive. But you're still talking mid-teens EPS growth. And I think the China's factored in. So to me, you're looking for an entry point uh, to buy the stock. And I think they probably don't report until early November. Yeah. Um, Grasso, how about you? Yeah, when I look at a chart, it's definitely rounded off. But this is not uncommon for Starbucks to give up uh, a healthy amount in percentage points and test that, uh, that, that 50 or 100 day. And right now we're at the 100 day. So the guy's point I would be a buyer when this levels off above 115. It's 115.37 is the 100-day moving average. This isn't America's story. It's less than 20% uh, everywhere else in the world. I think they check a lot of boxes. In a COVID environment, they're successful. Non-COVID environment, they're more successful. I'd still be a buyer of Starbucks. And this really shows how jittery investors are in terms of the impact of Delta, maybe around the world. I mean, things may be looking better in the United States when it comes to Delta, but it's not necessarily the case elsewhere, Karen. I mean, is that your, your take? I mean, if you're, even if you're not an investor in Starbucks, you take a look at that Yum News and you think a 50 to 60 percent guide down uh, on their earnings for the quarter, for the third quarter. That's pretty, that's rough stuff. It is rough stuff. I mean, they're able to do that, to just really literally shut down cities of, you know, four or five million people. But I think that investors will really look through that. I think it doesn't matter what Starbucks reports for this next, this current quarter that we're in. 
uh, about China. I think that the market is saying, all right, we know it's going to be a really you know, difficult quarter. I think it's going to be more important. What is the commentary? What are they seeing? Are things opening up? Are they starting to get back to normal? And more important than that even is, of course, the North America part of the story, where I th still think there's room to run. But it is not cheap. I mean, it, is, it deserves to be a premium, but it's probably a little bit of an extra premium. And I'm long. So this isn't <laughs> enough of a pullback for me to add stock yet. Okay. Coming up, X marks the spot. Shares of U.S. Steel climbing in today's session. We are breaking down that trade ahead and later powering up. Oil prices jumping, and that sends some major energy stocks rallying today. We'll break down the action when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at U.S. Steel breaking out today. Shares of the company surging just shy of 5%. Today's rally adding to a 53% gain for the year. Where do we go from here, Guy? I think higher, and it's still off. I think we traded almost $30 a couple weeks ago. Obviously sold off. Deutsche Bank, I think, upgraded the stock, $50 price target. Listen, Tim has wax poetic on this. I'll chime in and say company is operating better than it's ever been. The environment's better than it's ever been, quite frankly. And before the Trump tariffs back in March of 18, this stock was probably headed to that $50 level. Right or wrong, that's just the facts. And we've sold off, obviously, significantly. I don't know if we get to that 50, but it's easy, in my opinion, to see 35 to 40. Also, by the way, Alcoa is a name we mentioned a few times on this show. I believe they got an upgrade. And that stock has been off to the races, also challenging the levels we saw early spring of 2018. Higher prices, whether it be because of those Trump-era tariffs or just demand for manufactured goods. One stat really stood out to me in the journal today that I read. That was um, this Midwest Steel Index, $1,940 a ton at the beginning of September compared to 560 last September and the September before Grasso. I mean, <laughs> the, the increase is astronomical. The, the increase is astronomical, and this fits into uh, where you're looking for inflation. And a, a big part of this, oh, well, there's a couple things going on. Deutsche Bank raised their price target to 50, and they raised that from 38. So you can see what they're looking for. Infrastructure is still coming down the pike. That's the carrot on the, stri on the string. Uh, I, I don't know if we get there on infrastructure just yet. The progressives need... Uh, reconciliation uh, to be passed first before they get on board and we're nowhere near reconciliation so I think there's a lot of things that are sort of biding some time for the bulls <clears throat> in the steel market but this is something where people are trying to buy value and definitively that fits into that bucket and there's plenty of tailwinds to keep this story on track all right um, cannabis stocks they rallied today. House lawmakers introducing a series of drug policy-related amendments to defense legislation, including a new proposal to protect banks that service state legal marijuana businesses. Tim, what's your take on the action today? This certainly doesn't reverse the trend that we've seen this year. No, it doesn't. It's been painful three months or so, or even six months for cannabis, which got ahead of itself, I think, as a sector on expectations on what was happening in D.C. The bottom up's been fantastic. And even the state by state addressable market's been growing. So what this news was is it's now possible. This was a headline. First of all, the market didn't expect. So when you see the biggest names uh, in the space like GTI, et cetera, rally five, six, seven, eight percent, it tells you how spring loaded uh, the sector really is, especially for macro news. But Sneaking safe banking into the National Defense Authorization Act 
is is a, a headline, frankly, that the industry wasn't expecting and something that would begin very important momentum. It's not the entire answer for and, you know, the Schumer bill that was proposed uh, three months ago was too encompassing, too much of a kitchen sink and frankly, a non-starter. So this is getting back into, hey, let's get some po- some points on the board, get some progress, get FinCEN on board. If you get the banks involved, you're going to be able to get a lot of you know, activity from here. It would be great for the sector. And that's why the sector rallied today. And, the, you know, the, the fundamentals have been very strong, but the sector is waiting for a macro catalyst. It's very clear. And today tells you that. Yeah. Grasso? Yeah, so I agree 100 percent with Tim. The problem is the timeline for everything that's, that's happening right now in D.C. is kind of tough going into year end. As we just spoke about, you have infrastructure, you have reconciliation, you have funding the government. There's a real chance we see a, another government shutdown. So saying, safe banking, CBD is a dietary supplement. The, these are all things that are the tailwinds. I think they will eventually happen. The back half of the year, though, seems questionable to me. Coming up, the energy trade fueling up as oil prices pop. But one option traders betting on a breakdown. We've got the trade ahead. Plus, ready for takeoff. We're counting down to an historic launch. SpaceX sending the first all-private citizen flight into orbit in just a few hours. We're live on the ground with all the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out some major energy stocks topping the tape today as oil prices jumped. EOG, Diamondback, Devon, Marathon among the day's biggest winners. Guy, what's your favorite? It's interesting. Halliburton remains and had a decent day today. We mentioned that RBC initiated covers. I think $27 price target. This to me was an interesting day for energy. Specific names. Uh, JP Morgan actually downgraded Chevron and took Exxon off their focus list. Stocks did well. Look, I've been wrong for a while, but I think energy still has some legs left in it. I think it goes higher. I think the place you want to be is some of these service names. Halliburton, to me, is best in breed. Yeah, Karen, your thoughts? Right to Guy's point, my real, the biggest exposure I have is the OIH, which was somewhat of a pun because I didn't want to pick particular names. But, I, you know, the higher oil goes, the better it is for service companies. And um, so OIH, it was, I bought it sort of around here quickly went down to 170. I still think there's room. Remember, it was 244 maybe not that long ago. So I still think there's room to the upside. I mean, a lot of things, especially at the beginning of July, for instance, are a lot higher than where they are right now after that brutal, brutal month that we had. Um, So, Tim, how are you feeling about oil these days? I, I, again, look at that move at EOG. What the market is rewarding is that the company, first of all, has, has costs that are, I, I think, as low as a lot of their Middle Eastern peers. But this is a company that's gone out of their way to say uh, no growth until uh, the market needs the extra barrels, that they're, they're providing double digit returns better than their peer group, better than a lot of companies in the S&P. It's just run differently. And, and with oil prices at these levels, and albeit they, you know, they've had some not great hedges. Um, I, I think where we're going with this is the trade moves into an investment. People are starting to trust these companies. Look at Fang. So look at Diamondback. Same thing. I mean, they basically said we will do no consolidation until it's accretive. This is what you want to hear. It's a race to see who's going to give back, you know, 75 to 80 percent of free cash flow. I, you know, which company will do it. They all want to announce it. Uh, they're all moving in that direction. And I think that's why you want to own the sector. Grasso, what part of the patch do you like? So the services look, services charts or OIHs, as Karen referred to, look to me the same way that the refiners look. They look like to be 
forming a base right now. EMP still is a moonshot. When you look at uh, the, the uh, ETF, XOP, that's up, I guess, 45% year-to-date. EOG is up 52%. Devin is up 97% year-to-date. Devin would probably be my best pick in the EMP space. But definitively, if you want to mute out a lot of the volatility, I would go with the ETF and go with the XOP. But definitely, if I was forced to choose and you made me choose, and that sounded a heck of a lot like a would you rather. It wasn't. I would go with the uh, EMP EMP space. More specifically, was this an an open-ended question? But you can interpret what, you know, however you want. Um, Guy mentioned Chevron. The CEO Chevron is coming up on Mad Money tonight. That's Michael Worth, 6 p.m. Eastern time, top of the hour. All right, today's rally might have you feeling bullish on the energy sector, but one trader in the options market is making a massive bet that oil stocks are about to collapse. Tony Zhang joins us with the action. Tony, what are you seeing? Yeah, so we saw some action here in XOP, the oil and gas exploration ETF. So even though we've broken out quite a bit over the past couple of days, we saw one trader reaffirm what looks like a fairly bearish outlook here for the industry. Now, this uh, XOP normally trades fairly actively. Almost 40,000 contracts a day traded on this, but 220,000 contracts traded today, and about 50% of that volume was from a single trader. Now, this trader already owns about 85,000 contracts of the December $60 puts, But today, they rolled 55,000 of those higher to the December $70 puts, laying out an additional $5.6 million in premium to put on this uh, this put. Now, whether or not this was an outright out bearish bet or a hedge, that's yet to be seen. But certainly by moving this strike up to the $70 uh, strike price, this is sort of reaffirming perhaps some concerns of some softness in the oil and gas space between now and the December expiration. All right, Tony, thank you. Tony Zhang. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, a rocket launch for the record book. SpaceX sending the first all-private citizen flight into orbit in just a few hours. More on this historic launch coming up next. Buckle up. We are counting down to a major milestone in space travel. SpaceX will launch history's first all-private citizen flight into orbit in just over two hours from now. Let's get to Morgan Brennan live at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida with more. Morgan. We are currently go for launch, and Melissa, this is history in the making. The four private citizens comprising the Inspiration4 crew are already sitting inside SpaceX's Dragon capsule atop a Falcon 9 rocket where, on a launch pad, by the way, where Apollo and space shuttle astronauts began their journeys to space decades ago. But unlike those missions, NASA is just a bystander tonight. SpaceX and Elon Musk, who is here, are the operators. So if all goes according to plan, Inspiration4 will be the first ever all-civilian, fully commercial space flight to orbit, a three-day trip at an altitude farther than the International Space Station, and actually the farthest into space that humans have ventured in more than a decade. The crew arrived earlier this hour to that launch pad in their white and black custom SpaceX suits, color-coordinated with the SpaceX hardware and, of course, with the Teslas that transported them there. 
uh, clearly excited, hugging, writing their names on the wall of the SpaceX White Room. A Shift 4 founder and CEO, Jared Isaacman, the benefactor and commander of this mission, and his three crewmates, Haley Arsenault, Chris Sombrowski, and Cyan Proctor, prepare for liftoff. Melissa? Morgan, will these private citizens be expected to perform the typical duties of crew, or is there more autonomy involved in this particular spacecraft than others? Yeah, so, so the SpaceX Dragon capsule is autonomous uh, if all goes according to plan, although there's been very rigorous and intense training over the six months since this crew came together to troubleshoot and basically learn all possibilities before this mission. Uh, if all goes according to plan, then it'll basically be an autonomous space flight for them over the course of the next three days. And they'll be conducting health and medical experiments. And oh, by the way, they're carrying payloads since this mission is for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. They're raising $200 million for the hospital. They're also bringing payloads to be auctioned off, including, what else, NFTs. Well, the fortunate thing is that you don't actually have to transport those, right? They're just digital. So <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really add to the weight of the capsule or anything like that. Morgan, thank you. True. They'll have other things, too. Thanks. Morgan Brennan. Um, Steve Grasso, you, you're in this space of space. <laughs> <laughs> through space, right? I, I, I am. And, e and even if this just brings to light St. Jude Charity, it's one of my favorite charities, so let's get that out there. Uh, I think it's well worth it. But when you start to look at how you could invest in space, I'm still in Virgin Galactic. I entered into this trade uh, probably a couple years back now, um, and I entered around $15.50. I'm still in it. I've sold some when it popped. Uh, recently in the last couple of months. It can't get out of its own way. It, keeps, it, ke it continues to get poor press coverage. But when you look for events, I treat these stocks, Melissa, like biotech stocks. There's always an event. It's always binary. SPCE Virgin has an event coming up at the end of the month or in October. I'm still in it. All right. Up next, final trades. We have got a big two-hour show coming your way tomorrow, and we are taking your questions, so send them our way on Twitter at CNBC Fast Money. We'll try and get to them. Final trade time. Karen. Yeah, I'm looking outside the U.S., also beneficiary of oil, Mexico, EWW is the ETF I'm playing. Tim. Everything I heard today says buy J.P. Morgan. Higher rates, reopening, cyclicality, and it's gone sideways for six months. J.P.M. Steve. Apple on the dip. Guy. Alcoa, sister. All right, Mad Money's up next. See you then. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.